Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor, and it's wonderful to be with you again today to bring you our next episode, episode three of season two. In this episode, Vis is hosting Solar and is sitting down with Eric Lee, the Vice President of Alliance Climate Capital. Alliance Climate Capital is a US-based asset management company that invests in people, companies and other assets that are decarbonizing the global economy and its infrastructure. They do wonderful work in funding projects that are making a difference to tackle climate change. Eric's journey into climate finance began with a bachelor's degree in biological sciences on a pre-med track. This isn't the most common way to get into ESG and finance. So in this episode, Eric is going to share some really helpful insights about his multidisciplinary career, which I think is fantastic because it shows us that there are so many pathways that we can take if we're looking to make a positive impact in the climate change space. Eric and Viss also chat about ESG, greenwashing and how Aligned is walking the walk to make impactful changes to decrease emissions. So here's episode three with Eric Lee. Hey everyone in the Greenfluence community, it's me Viss. Um, for this week's episode, we've got a really special guest who is joining us from Los Angeles. Uh, his name's Eric Lee, and he's currently the Vice President of Aligned Climate Capital. Eric, it's great to have you on board. Thanks, it's great to be here. So I know we initially started talking on the work on Climate Slack community, and I think like we've had a lot of good chats and just been so interesting to see your ESG journey because you've been in this space for the last five, six years when it was in its infancy. And you've obviously seen it grow from something that was, I guess, a nice to have to like something that all CEOs, all asset managers really need to take note of. So I guess just before we start on your background and your study, can you give us a quick insight on what the journey has been like over the past five, six years? Yeah, the journey has been quite wild, to be honest. As you've kind of nailed it on the head, the ESG landscape has been changing really quickly. Um, I'm sure there's different pockets of the world that escalate and accelerate at different paces. But at least here in the US, it seems like ESU what it was seven, eight years ago is not ESU what it is today. Um, if, if we consider the seven, eight year ago landscape to be an ESU 1.0, I'd say that currently we're in the ESU 3.0 or maybe even more advanced than that. So it's definitely exciting times. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely touch a lot more into ESG a bit later. But I, I want to go back to the start. So what was really interesting for us was you graduated from Cornell University with a degree in biological sciences. And a large portion of that um, is obviously from a STEM background. And I'm guessing that you would not have touched investing in your early years of college, um, but you did minor in business. So um, why did you minor in, in business and why did you initially study a science-related degree? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I'm happy to answer it. But I think in order to fully kind of get into the weeds of it, it might be helpful for me to provide a little bit of context of my upbringing. So at a very high level, right, I'm the son of immigrants. Both my parents moved to the U.S. from South Korea uh, to chase after what is now the American dream, however you want to define it. Um, they were both artists in training and came up with about like $1,000 training 
um, something very, very small. Um, and, and as you can imagine, they had their fair share of challenges uh, with not being able to speak their language, adapting to new cultures, um, adjusting to unfamiliar territories. Um, but with that said, both my parents were very entrepreneurial. Uh, they worked at the local swap meets. They taught art to the neighborhood kids, um, even hosted international students at our house. Um, essentially, they did whatever it took to pay the bills and put food on the table. And as a result, I think my parents wanted to shield me from all the hardships, um, all the stresses of what life can, you know, put on your plate. And they encouraged me to, you know, study really hard, get good grades, you know, go to a good school and eventually get a white collar job. And I'm sure this sounds very familiar to a lot of immigrant, you know, children out there. I'm sure not, I'm not the only one in this boat. Uh, but I think this upbringing heavily influenced my decision to be a bio major at Cornell. Um, I put myself up into this major and set myself on the pre-med track. And the business minor element was also influenced by them um, as I witnessed firsthand, you know, the practicality of what business can do, how versatile it is. It can be applied in all industries, completely applied in all sectors. Uh, so I think it was my sophomore or junior year when I decided to tackle it on. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because... Um, my parents also came as migrants and I came in, I was quite young and I guess I can't relate to everything you said, but I can definitely relate to the idea of parents working hard and wanting the best for their kids and being very like academically driven. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and definitely something a lot of our audience can relate to. And I think going back to the idea of biology and finance. So like, I guess when you think about it, you think, okay, they probably don't have much in common. And studying a science degree, how did you realize that you had that passion for finance? And how did you know that a traditional science route was not the option for you? Yeah, no. So I was 18 years old or so when I decided to go into college and study biology. And I did not know what I was getting myself into. So quickly enough, you take all these prerequisite courses like the organic chemistry, the biochem, the physics of the world. And I just did not like it. I found myself studying for studying's sake. Try yeah. to uh, chase after the GPA, the you know the MCAT scores or whatnot in order to make myself the ideal med school candidate. And honestly, like I had a realization, I'm just dreading these courses. And you know, at the same time, as a bio major, you're encouraged to take a lot of other courses in the kind of sciences. So at the same time, I was supplementing that with the environmental science courses, ecology, the plant bio. And those courses were actually something I was truly excited about. I was eager to learn and studying didn't come a chore. It became more of a pleasure. And I think that's when I was able to nail it down. Like, this is my passion. And the business element was always something in the back of my mind. I wanted yeah. to do something more practical with it. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't know what. So at that point in time, I was maybe like a junior or senior in college, trying to marry the two fields together. Yeah. But I didn't really know in what shape or form. This would have been, I guess, prior to the whole boom in sustainable investing, um, that kind of thing. So the concept of biotech and elements of science, they were very separate from finance, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Like there wasn't no, a parallel. Right. I think now there's like a lot of links to STEM, but back then I'm guessing it wasn't quite the same, was it? It wasn't really well established. And I think you're absolutely right. The, the word sustainability was more of a buzzword. It wasn't defined. It was, it's a cool terminology. People you know, used it for marketing and you know, gimmicky things, but no one really knew what you were exactly talking about. So that's kind of when a lot of my professors, counselors, you know, advisors were telling me, Eric, you should look into sustainability. They're marrying the two fields together. 
And I was hesitant at first because it's it's scary to go into uncharted territories. So um, I was reluctant, but glad that I did. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where um, I guess you have a shot and it works out and you built a career out of it. And I think that's super interesting. And I did notice on your LinkedIn that you were um, a graduate intern at Global Carbon Markets. No, it was a company called, um, thinking out on the name, now that you say it, it's been a few years, um, Carbon Credit Capital. There we go. Okay, yeah, Carbon yeah. Credit Capital. Yeah, and I think that was 2015, 2016. It's very interesting because I started uni in like 2016 and in the finance I did, there was barely any mention of, of carbon credits, of, 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 I guess, of more sustainable finance. So like, what was the landscape like at that time as an intern? Like, and was that how you knew that this was the path you wanted to get into? Or was it something else? Yeah, no, it was a great experience. I had a lot of exposure. It was more so about kind of quantifying carbon offsets and making sure that corporations can have an easy but verified way to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Right. So that was one of many different avenues I've explored to see if sustainability and business was at the right intersection for me personally. You know, I supplemented that experiment, uh, experience with consulting, working in the NGO space. Yeah. I also did ESG investing in the public markets. And I just really wanted to discover what was for me. Right. And I think how I was able to come to the decision of wanting to do sustainable investing was through grad school, actually. Um, it was while taking these courses, um, again, for context, I, right after college, I went to uh, grad school, studied master's in sustainability management. Um, I did that at Columbia University. And this is where I was exposed to a lot of different options within the world of sustainability. And, you know, I was exploring and trying to figure out my own place in the whole world and how I can yeah. make the most impact. And for me, at that moment in time, I was exposed to a lot of global challenges, right? You know, sustainability and climate change is one of many. There's yeah. hunger, food security. We, we're just getting out of a global pandemic. So health issues, um, you know, the list goes on. There's no shortage of issues that we need to be concentrating on. But sustainability for me really resonated the most. I think it was because it transcended borders, it transcended people's background, it affected all, right? And... For me, it was either one of two options that really stuck out. Uh, there was the policy angle you could take, right? And that changed from the top down. You could influence the local, you know, government officials, state officials, you could influence law at the federal level, whatnot. And then there was like the investment side of it. Now, quite frankly, I accepted the fact I'm not going to be the next Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos. So I won't have much money to throw at a lot of these issues that I find very intriguing and um, urgent. Right. But what I did soon realize was that I could be a part of an investment manager or a you know, financial institution that does care about it. Yeah. And I can have influence in allocating millions and potentially billions of dollars towards these causes. And I think that's outsized impact that I can do uh, beyond what I can do at an indi individual level. Um, so that was really appealing to me. In the past, you've had this, I guess, I guess people have had this concept of finance of greed is good and all these people just want to make crazy amounts of profit. But now we're seeing that transition where people like yourself are being involved in organizations that use capital in effective ways that actually help communities and things like that. And it's just like an important way to create impact in some shape or form, even though you might not be 
actually there in the communities, but at least you're channeling money in the right way. And I think that's awesome. Um, and then talking about like, you know, the impact investing, the impact investing background, how did you sort of transition from industry agnostic to a more sustainably focused fund? Yeah. So I started off my kind of career in the impact investing world at Trilink Global. And for those who are not familiar, Trilink Global is a private debt emerging market impact investor located in Los Angeles. And that experience has been tremendous. Their thesis is economic empowerment, um, investing into uh, companies in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe, and all things that I found very important and critical. Right. But at the same time, I knew at the end of the day, I wanted to be working in sustainability, climate change and you know, global warming. And all these things were the core of what I wanted to be doing. So while I was content, you know, learning the ropes of what investment management was, you know, you know, I was part of the investment team overseeing all their ESG issues um, and integration processes. Uh, I got to be exposed to compliance, marketing, fundraising, the list goes on. And you know, eventually, I wanted to come back home to what my true passion was of sustainability. Yeah. So that's kind of the transition there. I think now that probably has really helped you a lot in a leadership role at Align Climate Capital. And I guess just for our viewers' context, can you give us an insight on what your role is at the moment? Yeah. So currently, I'm one of the VPs here at Align Climate Capital. Um, Aligned Climate Capital is an institutional fund manager dedicated to fight the global climate crisis, right? For me, I oversee all their ESG initiatives that we have. So we have three distinct investment strategies, and I make sure that ESG best practices and ESG integration is applied to through, throughout our um, investment strategies. Um, in addition to that, it makes sure, it makes sure that uh, we're talking to the right stakeholders, we're par part of the right industry associations, uh, making sure that ESG language and considerations are baked into the investment committee materials because it is something material and required for um, overall investment um, approvals and, and all that. And yeah, in addition to that, it's also kind of reporting, um, monitoring the positions throughout the life of their time in our portfolio. Really interesting. So it seems, Eric, like you sort of go from the start to the end of that whole investment process and you can actually see the whole life cycle and you can see how you interact with your stakeholders, things like that. Is that like a fair sort of understanding? Like you have a good, you, I guess you have a good picture of how the whole investment process works from the mandate no, until the end and then seeing the return it provides. That's correct. It's for us at Align Climate Capital, and this is one reason I love working here, yep. is ESG is embedded into our DNA, right? Yep. We're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. And I think that's exemplified by the structures that we have in place and the protocols we set up to ensure um, ESG best practices. On that note of ESG best practices, right? Um, I understand Aligned uh, focuses a lot on the people of, of I guess, I guess on the people um, of the various companies that you're investing in and of the technology and that whole focus on net zero and the whole focus on reducing carbon and things like that. Um, you mentioned walking the walk and obviously ESG is a huge buzzword. And obviously, you know, there might be some people who are very skeptical about it and some people who think there's a lot of greenwashing. So in your role as like a vice president, what do you do to sort of prevent that whole greenwashing thing from happening? Like what are some controls or systems you have in place? 
You know, that's a great question. And maybe taking a step back and sharing the philosophy of how we view um, ESG at Online Climate Capital. So ESG for us is bifurcated into two distinct practices, right? There's the risk mitigation portion where we look into the uh, non-financial but material risks associated with an investment opportunity. And that's broken down into the E, S, and G respectively. So that could be emissions management or waste management, recycling, the list goes on. Uh, for the social, there's going to be labor practices that you look into, supply chain issues that you look into, um, as well as diversity, health and safety. Um, there's a whole list of, you know, S um, considerations that you have to factor in. And then G is like, how well are these programs being implemented at these respective companies? What are, how are they organized? How are they preventing corruption? Um, and all just these malpractices that may potentially be going on with some of these corporations. And then we have the IMM side, impact measurement management. Um, and this is where we kind of quantify the positive footprint that these companies have on both people on the planet. And this is a little bit more quantitative in nature. So we collect, you know, as a firm that's super focused on climate change and energy, uh, we capture metrics like um, clean energy generation, emissions avoided, job supported, um, criteria pollutions avoided. And that is something tangible and quantifiable. And we partner with a lot of good vendors um, to verify yeah. the kind of calculations we have in-house so not only are we kind of reporting the numbers, but they're coming from a true trusted source. Amazing. Yeah. It seems like you guys have done um, quite a bit of research and investigation to this whole process and being more aware of what happens and, and researching the companies is so important um, as well. Going on to the next sort of point or topic about climate infrastructure. Obviously, this is a topic that, you know, can be quite hotly debated. Um, and in terms of how sustainable is it? So what is Align's stance on climate infrastructure and um, how do you assess the quality of the assets and, and things like that? Yeah, no, I, we think that climate infrastructure is critical in order to kind of have the clean energy transition. I think infrastructure is a huge part of just energy as a whole, right? So in order for us to verify that these projects are actually legitimate for each of the opportunities that we look into, we do a full life cycle analysis, right? When someone thinks solar panel, they may think, you know, sunshine, clean energy. When they think of wind turbines, they think of, you know, projects that are, you know, metal, metal in the ground, turbine spinning, electricity being generated. But there's actually a lot more to it than that. Right. There's the whole permitting process that, that takes place, the whole development and construction period that takes place. And once these projects are operational, you need to monitor them and ensure that they're kind of performing to the standards that you have set. Right. So we have the whole protocol in-house to kind of oversee all, all that. In addition to that, you know, there are emissions uh, related to clean energy projects. I think people just think that solar is automatically good and wind yeah. is automatically good. But there are ESG risks and emissions that are emitted. So, for example, in the construction period, you know, equipment needs to be transported to the site. Um, the actors actually work that's being done on sites to construct it. And there's heavy machinery that's being used, etc. You know, even when there's a commissioning, you have to take the projects down, you have to dispose of them correctly. So for each of the opportunities that we evaluate, we work with their service providers and emissions experts to um ensure that in the end of the day, it's a net negative and that these projects actually have a positive benefit. We make sure that these projects are not located in sources um, in areas that are uh, 
highly controversial. So, for example, areas rich in biodiversity, areas that may be home to many endangered and threatened species. Like, obviously, we're not going to build projects there. We do the vetting process. We make sure that these projects are not encroaching on protected people or indigenous people's land, right? Because yeah. we want to be sensitive to the historic and tribal considerations. Um, so, there's a lot that goes behind the scene. And it's not as simple as one may think. Oh, just put a solar project here. There's a lot of land mm-hmm. there. So, let's put wind there. Um, so, we really consider all those factors assessing each of our opportunities. I think that's a very important point because as you mentioned with renewables, with things like electric vehicles, we also have to consider that there are emissions from those. And one thing that I learned that's pretty insightful is the source of those emissions, they can either be from fossil fuels or they can be from say hydrogen or other renewable energy. So I think the source is really important. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's, I think that's vital. And I guess like the other thing that I wanted to discuss, like with these companies, how do you sort of take part in stewardship activities? Is that something you do? Do you try and engage with them? Like, do you try and play an active role in the activities they're pursuing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So for our venture strategy, right, we like to lead the deals and have some sort of level of corporate governance in place. So whether that be a board position or have some governing rights over the company. And in that capacity, we want to oversee and make sure the company is doing the right thing at the right time, right? So our team is made up of various different professionals from different backgrounds. Um, to give you a little bit of color and context, our CEO and COO are both coming from the Department of Energy. Um, they ran the $32 billion loans program office in, in the U.S. So they're quite experienced and tenured in, in the industry itself. So they have the government, they have the network kind of and expertise there. Um, in addition to that, we have people in our company that come from legal backgrounds, accelerator backgrounds, solar backgrounds, or impact investing, probably yeah. speaking, right? So we are able to add value to our portfolio companies, business strategy, help them network accordingly, introduce them to customers, um, and help them grow and scale, um, through our kind of resources that we have. So it's, it's a terminology used in, in the industry, right? Smart capital. Don't take dumb money. Don't just take money and just, you know, for money save, but take money from people who could actually help you grow and scale. And that's something that we pride ourselves in, in these specific areas. So yeah, I think that's one kind of thing that differentiates it's even from the peers out there. Right. So the idea of smart capital, like knowing, I guess, knowing the source of who you get the money from is, is super important. Um, because like, say for example, right, you could be investing in like this awesome company with great environmental credentials. They're going to create like really cool solar panels or do something for agricultural management, but they might not have the best uh, social governance frameworks. Like if they're not treating their employees the best or don't have great benefits or not great in terms of diversity, um, is that are those points you would consider or are you mainly focused on like the environmental side of things? Or- yeah, no, that's a great question. We do cover all three aspects yeah. of ES and G respectively, right? Just one example that I'd share with you very recently for all our venture, uh, venture deals, we've embedded into our term sheet a diversity clause saying that these companies need to adopt X, Y, and Z practices in order to ensure diversity into the company culture, into the company values. And, you know, 
the companies that we invest into may not be all ESG perfect at the time of our investment, but that's where we come in. And that's another value add that we provide. We work with the companies to create the right policies and procedures. We work with the companies to adopt best practices. Say they're bad at waste management practices. We come alongside them and say, these are the areas you could kind of improve your current operations. These are areas that you're doing well in. So let's keep it as is. Um, it's kind of consultative in that way, for sure. One company that you have invested in is ChargeNet. And mm-hmm. from what I gather, they're developing electrical vehicle charging stations, which are fueled by solar, which are fueled by solar power. Um, I wanted to know why Aligned picked like electric vehicles as opposed to say, um, I don't know, other sort of um, areas like say hydrogen, wind or nuclear. And, and I guess like, what are your thoughts on electric vehicles in terms of how they are sourced? Because I know sometimes they're sourced by fossil fuels, but they can also be sourced from more renewable energy sources. I do think that, you know, just to be clear, we do look into opportunities outside the EV space. So yeah. you have exposure to solar, um, exposure to battery storage, et cetera. Um, so EV is not just the sole kind of investment area that we look into, but you're absolutely right. We looked, we invested into ChargeNet and we were, bullish on them for various reasons, right? Just overall, the EV market and just how I feel about it personally is that there's a lot of political um, tailwinds in place, right? Just if you look at the state of California right now, they've enacted a law effective in 2035 that there will be the sale of no gas-powered cars, right? And that may be progressive and that may be kind of wild and out there. But yeah. you know, a few months later, you see New York adopted the same policy. Um, so we see that more and more people, as as the states become more conscious, as the nation becomes more conscious of green um, and sustainability issues, you're going to see a lot of EVs hit the road. And yeah. when you see EVs hit the road, you obviously need the charging infrastructures in place. And that's where you put ChargeNet in. ChargeNet's going to be servicing the mass floods of EVs that will be hitting the road in the next 10 or so years. So, you know, there's the political incentives, there's the financial incentives as well from the government, there's tax breaks, there's rebates, the list goes on. And, you know, from us, the policy standpoint, there's a lot of ways that we can help our companies access those capitals, um, yep. access kind of non dilutive capital or grant financing. Right. So that was another way that we thought we could add value. And just to kind of share a little bit about ChargeNet specifically, they're working within the quick service restaurants and they're not just doing um, EV charging. They supplement it with bat- um, energy storage systems as well as kind of solar at the same time. Right. And we pride ourselves on being solar experts as well. So in the development of solar projects, that's when we could extend our expertise and help them scale and help them navigate the permitting stuff um, and all the kind of logistics that go behind the scene. So for various reasons, we were very bullish on ChargeNet yeah. um, and thought we'd be great partners with them. That insight has given us a lot of perspective on ChargeNet and how like it's not specifically um, in one area, but it does stuff with restaurants, things like that. So it's sort of serving the wider community. And I also think your point about EV and the political landscape is really good because I think that's just the, this phenomenon is happening happening not only in US um, or Europe, but I guess to a small extent it's, uh, it's happening over here in Australia. Um, I think we're slowly seeing slowly seeing um, I guess I guess more charging stations. But as you mentioned, the infrastructure has to has to come at a rate that's I guess faster than the uptake of electric vehicles. Um, and I think that leads me to my next point is like in the world I feel 
different countries and different areas have different levels of maturities on ESG and sustainable finance. Could you just give us a quick overview of these trends and how they affect different parts of the world? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think ESG evolution is accelerating quicker in certain parts of the world and maybe not as quick in other parts of the world. While I don't know all the markets comprehensively, um, from where I sit, I could see that Europe is leading the charge. There's been so much innovation. There's so much ESG sustainability focus happening. Like, for example, SFDR and EU regulations, right? They're requiring funds to uh, categorize themselves as impact or not impact and, co- and color-coded as well um, to showcase that they're real and legit. And if they do select themselves to be an impact-oriented fund, they have the disclosure practices and the reporting practices that follow, right? So there's the pressure from the top down to make sure that people are not only talking the talk, but walking the walk again, yeah. right? So there's there's that element. I, I do think uh, Europe is ahead of the pack. And then you see US. Um, I think we are uh, behind them. But, you know, we've been making progress in our own respect in, in a lot of ways, too. Um, you can see there's you know, SEC buzz, that there's regulation, that they want to kind of oversee this whole space and kind of reduce greenwashing, and they want to calculate emissions. And there's a lot of kind of activity taking place as well. You know, the other parts of the world, I can't really confidently speak on. Um, yeah. There's Africa, Latin America, and Asia. You know, for me, what I hear from my colleagues over in Asia, that there has been a lot of buzz around ESG and sustainability as well. I just don't know how much the market has progressed, honestly, um, from where I sit. And Latin America and Africa, similarly, you know, I had exposure to those markets while working at Trilink as we invested into mm. those regions. Mm. Um, but today, I haven't been following it too closely to know what the latest and greatest is. Um, mm. But I know that they are all also focused on ESG and impact to varying mm. degrees. So it is definitely a global phenomenon. Um, and it's a force that's here to stay. I was recently doing some ESG study and it was really interesting that in Europe, I think I think negative screening and best in class was really common. In the States, it was ESG integration. And I think in Japan, they were really big on like engagement with the boards or something like that. So it's like really interesting how like in different parts of the world, you have varying methods um, for investors and and stakeholders to connect. Um, yeah, and I think it'll be really interesting to see if whether we all converge or whether we all go our separate ways. Um, super exciting. And I think like a quick a quick topic I want to I wanna get your opinion on is the whole idea of green bonds, social bonds, things like that. Obviously, like those are really interesting financial tools and it obviously links like, say, the amount of capital that a company gets with its climate targets and whether it achieves them. Um, want to hear your thoughts on that and whether that's something you've looked a lot into? Yeah, it's something that I, I didn't personally look a lot into, but I've definitely been following and tracking it through through my work. And I think it's... It's important. I think it's critical to fight climate change. I think we need to think creatively. We need to incentivize people to think of ways to adopt ESG best practices while not impacting them negatively financially as well. And the social and environmental bonds, I've I've hear I've heard and seen things that were quite unique. So, for example, I've seen um, it structured in a way if a corporation or, or the ultimate recipient of the capital performs to X, Y, and Z ESG standards, the rates of the loans decrease by a certain margin. So yeah. therefore, they're incentivized to prioritize ESG practices or sustainability practices within their own corporation. Because not only is it good for the world, but it's also 
beneficial financially, right? I think th- that level of creativity needs to permeate throughout the field. Um, and I think as we think more creatively and outside the box, um, sustainable and green um, investing will just scale tremendously. This whole topic of sustainable investing, I think a lot of it is driven by the Gen Zs, the millennials, um, probably more so than older generations. So very interested into what can we as young professionals who are concerned about sustainability actually do um, to you know assist companies in achieving these goals in our professional lives? What I could tell for young professionals is try to influence your respective spheres of influences. You guys are positioned in companies. You guys are positioned in social circles. You guys are positioned in um, unique, unique arenas that are not common to everybody else, right? So educate people, talk about it, bring it up at the workplace, make it the norm so that sustainable conversations are front and center, you know, have conversations over dinner with friends. And I think this grassroots movement and curiosity um, and this, this momentum will continue to ride, right? And I think Gen Zers are more passionate. I, I think, you know, taking a step back, I think there's the baby boomer generation who maybe not who are not maybe the most sustainably minded. And then you see the millennials who are a little bit more sustainably minded. I think, you know, our generation will pass it down to the Gen Zers. Well, you know, they are super sustainably driven. So it's just like that trend going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually in Gen Z. So um, I'll try and pass it down to quite (laughs) a few people if I can and really get that going pretty much in the super fund that um, I'm part of. So Superfund is like a post-retirement thing. It's like saving up for retirement. They're actually having an annual general meeting and I'm thinking of going for that. Um, I guess just so I can get more involved and see what happens because I feel like it's a good opportunity for me as well to be involved in issues that the fund is going through, things like that. So I think like, yeah, if we take part in small things like that, um, play a more of an active role in in meetings, If like say if you invest in the company, and or I guess if you have equity in a company, like being involved in meetings and voting, would you say that's a good way to get involved? Yeah, I think that's a great way to get involved. You know, it's not only limited to just the financial world. You could get involved in your local communities, the local government, the state government, whatever it may be, and just be a voice um, and kind of carry the flag for all things sustainability and bring it to the various pockets and corners of the world and, you know, make it the norm. Obviously, there are like huge trends um, aside from sustainability. Like you see all these things about cryptocurrency or the metaverse or Web3, things like that. Do you think sustainability, obviously, it's got a lot of like airtime and focus now, but do you think it will be overshadowed by these other sort of hot topics? I think sustainability is here to stay. I might be biased because I work in the field and I'm passionate about the field. But, you know, when you think about sustainability and ESG as, as a whole, um, think about it like five to 10 years ago, people were like, ESG, what's that? Now you say ESG and people are like, Oh, I know what that is. And it's become more of a household name, you know, and that, that's great. That's great progress. I was reading a report earlier this week and just. I think the report was stating that there's going to be about 50 plus trillion dollars in ESG assets circulating globally by 2030 or whatever the year was. And that's a tremendous amount of capital. And as you see, like that amount of capital, you can't just ignore it. It's going to be front and center. You know, people were saying a few years ago, will ESG penetrate the mainstream? Will it ever be adopted globally? Whatever. And you see us, you know, fast forward to where we are today. 
it's it's everywhere. It's happening. The largest, yeah. yeah, the largest financial institutions, like you know, the Goldman's of the world, the JP Morgan, um, whatever, Morgan Stanley's BlackRock, they all have an ESG practice. If yeah. you don't have it, you're you're a laggard yeah. and you are gonna kind of be at a disadvantage than your peers. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh very wise words, I think. And yeah, it's it's really interesting that some people, you know, still have some sort of skepticism skepticism about it. But I guess like truth is in the money to some extent, right? If all this money is flowing into the field, then there has to be some a strong case for it. And I think we're seeing that with all different funds like yours and, and things like that. Um, yeah, definitely an area that I'm super passionate about. And yeah, I think like the next five years, who knows where I can go. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an exciting place to be in. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm biased and I'm sitting to see like where the you know momentum's going forward, but just objectively, when you see the flows of capital, when you see the market changes, when you yeah. see laws change, um, you just know that it's the right time at the right place and just the right moment. Awesome. So we're heading to the speed round of questions. These are going to be very nice and quick. So are you ready, Eric? Let's go for it. Awesome. So the first thing, what what is the best piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Ooh, for me, I tell myself to take more risks. I think while younger, I was a little bit more conservative and yep. I tried to think more carefully around every decision that I made. Yep. Uh, but I do think there is value in taking more risks and exploring and being more adventurous. So that's one thing I'd kind of the advice I'd give. Yep. Very well said. Cool. The next question, how do we ensure that we continue to reduce our fossil fuel production and achieve climate targets? Yeah, I think there needs to be more transparency in the market. So whether it be assurances or audits that happen in the corporate place or in the kind of financial services world, uh, there needs to be better reporting. There just needs to be better synchronization, synchronization and sharing of data. Um, I think there's a lot of progress that could be made. Um, not to discredit all the progress that's been made to date, but I think yep. there's a little bit more ways to go. And the next question, I think we've touched on this a bit, but how do you see the ESG market performing in the next few years? Yeah, I think it's here to stay. Yep. <laughs> Simply put. Yeah. Simply put. Yep. Very nice. Um, next one. So what advice would you give to someone from a science background who has no knowledge of finance, but they want to enter the field? Yeah, I would say network, network, and network. Like, don't <laughs> undermine the power of LinkedIn. Don't undermine the power of different communities, right? Like this, you and I connect that you work on climate. Yep. You would have thought that me sitting in LA would have been talking to someone in Australia. Right? Yeah. Like you just never know, um, especially in this COVID environment where things have become virtual. Just talk to people. And I would say like, from personal experience, and this you, you might be able to test, but people in the yep. climate space are generally friendly and receptive. Yep. Um, so just don't be shy. Just reach out, learn more about the space, educate yourself, um, read up on articles. And just have rich, deep conversations. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I feel like because climate is such a global issue, I feel like a lot of people are passionate to help each other. It's not something that we're forced to do. It's like our career, but it creates meaningful impact and we want to actively help others. So definitely attest to that, Eric. Awesome. Last question. What are your book recommendations and who are good people to follow in this space? Yeah, so book recommendations... The one that I'm reading right now, I could recommend, it was a gift from our CEO actually yeah. um, for Christmas. Um, it's titled How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. The Solutions Bill Gates, you right? have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't read through it all myself personally. I'm in the process of reading through it, but it's, it's been very insightful. I'd recommend it to people out there. 
Um, with regards to who to follow, there's so many people to follow. And I think there's so many influencers out there in, in our community. Um, I'd say that for me, I personally follow just like broader news outlets, outlets yeah. as a whole, um, like Bloomberg being one, Wall Street Journal, CNN, and just like kind of diversify who you're hearing yep. your information from. Yep. Um, and, and as you do so, um, I think you get a very well-rounded understanding of what's happening in this space. Um, and it's another way to educate yourself and stay current on all the issues. Yeah, awesome. And last question, uh, where can our viewers look to to learn more about you and your company? <laughs> yeah, feel free to check us out at our website, www.alignclimatecapital.com. Um, it talks about who we are, um, strategies that we have, talks about our team. Um, so feel free to connect and you know, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. You might be getting a few more Australian friends then. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. Eric, it's been a great pleasure to have you on board and thanks for taking time out of your Friday afternoon. I think we've definitely learned a lot about your journey in the space considering you've been there for quite a while and you've given us great advice about the whole investing process at Aligned and um, given our listeners a good, a good idea of how to get in the space and trends. So really thank you for our time. And I think my key takeaway was how exciting this ESG space is. No, thank you, Viz. This has been great. What did you find interesting in the climate conversation with Eric? I enjoyed hearing about how Eric and his team and Aligned Climate Capital are taking active steps to fight climate change, taking into account social and cultural perspectives, as well as the science and finance lenses when engaging with their different projects. If you'd like to connect with Eric, you can find him on LinkedIn and all the links will be in the show notes. We'd also love to connect with you and hear your thoughts. So please join us on Facebook and LinkedIn to be part of our Greenfluence community. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with the latest episodes and we'd appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. It means a lot. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll catch you in the next one. Oh, 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 oh